0: gone as far as I can in my scientific research among the lower animals, but it is obvious that my findings will not be accepted for the medical world until they have first been demonstrated upon a human being. begins the absorbing story of six human souls marooned on a savage island at the mercy of a mad scientist who claimed he could bring the dead back to life and needed victims to prove it you can't do a thing like that I never. I can't can I I'm not gonna let that crackpot kill me oh, I you may of live before Sun come up or you go in fire Wait a minute, are you on the level about giving us this jungle hot foot? I'll take these four.
1: bloody pit we're back my name is rod barnett
2: i'm troy gwen
1: and uh tonight we return to the 1940s universal horror film thread uh it's been a couple months yep. hold on i mean last time out was a biggie
2: it so. was so we, yeah i had to catch a breath a little bit with that you know
1: <laughs> last time the Wolfman. this time we uh, we back it down we do the uh, we're doing this the movie tonight that would... was actually a co-feature it was part of the mm-hmm. double feature it was the uh I guess the second feature Mm -hmm. would have been the first which one would they have shown first? Mm. I guess they would have shown The Wolfman first and then they would have shown Mad Doctor of Market Street the film we're covering tonight am I right?
2: It's a good question because there's two schools of thought there at how you would approach that. You know, it's like yeah. do you, do you want to give them the the minor what I would assume they would have considered the minor film first and keep the main event as the one after it, or or would they be afraid they would lose the you know yeah, audience after like the first it. one? So you want to lead with your 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 punch there. You it's know, a good with question. Your, anyway, you know, yeah.
1: tonight we're doing the film that was actually made before the Wolf Man, but was used as a one mm. hour long second feature for the Wolf Man when it came out in 1941. The Mad Doctor of Market Street, which uh, I have many things to say.
2: <laughs> yes, I will too. hold off on them for, yes, for yes. a moment
1: and uh, ask you, hey, uh, mm. how's it going, Troy?
2: It is going well, man. How are you doing?
1: Uh, did I even let you introduce yourself?
2: I think so. If not, I'm Troy Gwynn. I think I said that. I, I don't remember anymore. Yeah, I believe I did.
1: Oh, my God. We're getting old. Anyway. <laughs> so anything, yeah, I was about to say, we're still trapped in COVID hell.
2: We are. We are. Uh, those, uh, this is a time capsule for people listening to that. Years from now, uh, you hear people when you hear your ancestors speak of speak of the plague that swept the uh yeah swept 2000 2020 or uh then yes we are we're mired in that right now uh, and
1: uh and just loving every stinking minute of
2: well, it well man oh man it's just a joy <laughs> a constant joy
1: troy working from home me mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. working normally yeah it's yeah. weird it's a strange thing hi <sighs> have you seen anything interesting lately
2: oh gosh um well, you
1: said. Wait, hold on a minute. You said earlier.
2: Oh well, I did. I did tell you I'm rewatching the Bond movies. Oh yeah, that's yeah, going yeah. through a rewatch of the James Bond series. What was the most recent one you saw? The most recent one I saw was uh, um, was uh, the first uh, uh, Timothy Dalton one, The Living Daylights. Uh, yes, thank you, Living Daylights, which I enjoyed, and I had seen that one before. I mean, most of these I've seen before, but now there are a few along the way that I that had had had, had somehow skipped. Not many, but there have been a couple. Really? Uh, yeah, I think uh, with the James Bond films. Uh, Excuse with the Roger Moore series I think I think really the Roger Moore series was the only one that I had missed maybe one or two the first time out I know that I had never seen Octopussy uh, you know until this viewing Um, and uh, I think there was one other, I'm trying to think which one it was that maybe, that surprisingly I'd never seen actually I think it might have been I think it was The Spy Who Loved Me which you would think that was one I would have seen but actually that is one I'd missed Uh, I think those are the only two so far uh that I had actually never seen prior to this kind of rewatch I'm going through. But uh, now with the Piers Brosnan films, I do. How many did Brosnan do? Four. I think that I may have only seen the first two of those. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then of course I've as I told you earlier, I've only seen Casino Royale of the new series, the Daniel Craig series, so I'm looking forward to watching all of those. So cool, cool. Yeah. I think
1: yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to hear your reactions to the to the Craig films
2: because yeah, I'm expecting uh, to like them and based on what I saw with Casino yeah. Royale. Now I know that they haven't all been I know just from your reactions, I know yeah. there's been some Quantum, you haven't Quantum been as crazy uh, about
1: as it? of Solace is yeah. it's a it's a it's an interesting film it's it's mm-hmm. the first time it's the first time watching a James Bond film mm-hmm. where I desperately wanted somebody to go back in and re-edit every action scene.
2: Oh wow, really? Wow. Yeah, man. because they're hmm.
1: incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Every action scene, it, it they, they just sometimes the Bond series follows instead of leads. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Quantum of Solace, uh, the director decided to follow the frenetic editing of the Bourne series. Oh, okay. And if you don't do that right, yeah. it's just gibberish on screen. It's like throwing a bunch of confetti on, on screen <laughs> and hoping that people right. comprehend what's happening. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's what most of the, 90% of the action scenes in mm-hmm. Quantum of Solace are garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you can only occasionally, I, I finally figured the action scenes out
3: mm-hmm.
1: when Quantum of Solace came out on Blu-ray and mm-hmm. I was able to, I'm not kidding you,
3: mm-hmm.
1: step frame through the frenetic editing of the action scenes to dope out what in the fuck was going on. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: now, the, 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 it, it's the first James Bond film where I literally felt like they were they the every action scene was mm. they could have just stepped somebody they could have just had everything going had mm. someone step in front of the camera hold up a sign saying. And James Bond
3: escapes. (laughs) Just
1: print it on a piece of paper, Mm -hmm. hold it up, and we just get to
3: the the parts of the film that that work, which are all the
1: scenes between the actors. All the the scenes Mm -hmm. between the actors work very well. But uh, the action scenes are a nightmare in that movie. (laughs) So I'll be curious to see if you have the same reaction. Yeah,
2: Yeah. okay. And the other thing, uh, did a rewatch of, um, because this made me think of it, you mentioned about being incomprehensible. I did a, a rewatch of actually my all-time favorite vampire movie, which is *Vampire Circus*. You know, I have to dig that out every few years, and I do love that film. But whenever I see it now, especially in its all its widescreen, uncut glory, yeah, I always have to laugh at the fact that I love that film from the first time I saw it, and yet realizing how many years and years I watched it in the edited and panned and scanned version, uh. which literally renders incomprehensible certain entire action sequences from that film that you, you know, especially yeah. without giving too much away at the last where it's just utter, utter carnage, you know, it's, 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 it's Paul as you would be, would, would appreciate because, <laughs> you know, when suddenly everybody's dying just, you know, bodies are piling on top of bodies, you know, and there are so many things that I did not realize what was even happening until I finally was able to see a, a full, you know, correctly framed, uncut, Version of that film, yeah. Uh, I would, you know, there was so many little sequences where, or so many little shots where, I, where I could suddenly see something I had never seen for years, and was able to say like, "Oh, that's what's happening there." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, plus uh, there is the joy of watching uh, in high def the uh, nude woman and realize, oh, she really was just truly nude. Yes, she was truly naked. Those those stripes were just that, painted on. her. Yeah. <laughs> yes. she's actually
2: oh yeah naked. Well, I, I, I've i made this statement to people before that uh, probably one of the reasons I do love the film so much, you know, I'm not calling it the greatest Hammer film, but it's my own personal favorite, and it's my, again, it's my own personal favorite vampire movie, but to me, it's the Hammer film that comes the closest to feeling like a Euro horror film. Well, I can see that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah.
1: The joys of it are many and varied. Yeah. And uh, I I do... I mean, I'm I'm assuming you've gone through uh, a lot of the extras on that recent Blu-ray. Oh,
2: it's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. I just... In fact, I went through them again. I don't normally go through extras again on a disc, but it had been... Several years now since I watched it, so I actually went back through and, and watched the uh, the extras on this disc that are really. It's just so amazing
1: to learn that they didn't even get the, the, they didn't even get to finish filming yeah. everything they wanted to film.
2: I know, which does explain some of the weird plot, yeah. you know, some of the plot holes in it that you know, or some of the odd jumps in there. That uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's a shame they didn't get uh, more of that. On you know, the, what they wanted to do. Like
1: yeah, there's that, that there's that part of you that just you know wish wishes they if they'd had two more days. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just two more days to get a few more scenes shot. It's like ah. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Well, at any rate, yeah, it's, it's a great
2: movie. I, did, yeah. I
1: do I do love it myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In the year of Trash Vein, I finally got around to seeing a movie from uh, mid-70s called The Killer War Gloves. And from that title, you might suspect it's a the What are the
2: chances, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Right. It's
1: just, if it had said I the they're black. Exactly, I can't that they the killer wore black gloves, that would have be been even more on point. But the
2: killer wore black gloves and has a sexual depravity or something, Say <laughs> so, a sexual hang up or something. <laughs> it
1: has a bizarre fascination with a particular animal. Yeah. So, just to just to really cap it off, yeah. But no, uh, it it was it was pretty damn good. It's it's very interesting in that uh, it's not the typical giallo for the time. In that the lead character is a very attractive woman instead mm. of a guy, mm. and uh, so and it was it was it was fun watching it and realizing while I was watching it, I was I was searching my memory trying to remember. Okay, well wait a minute, how many giallos really? Because I believe this one came out in like seventy five seventy six. Uh, the yeah, the killer wore gloves, and it's one of those things where it's like, oh, so how many focused on mm. having a central character as a woman? Mm-hmm. And it's not that frequent in that you know in that seventies period. It's not frequent that that happened. And I mean, it did, but mm, yeah. often it often the the female lead is you know the protagonist's girlfriend right. or something of that mm-hmm. nature,
2: mm-hmm. or something someone working with him on solving the you know yeah. the, the, the mystery or yeah.
1: yeah, and it's and it's so it's. Um, it was it was really intriguing because you're 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 following this character and it's it's a good it's a good little mystery. It mm-hmm. is it is very uh, it is very well put together. It's got a nice little uh, I'll just uh, won't ruin anything but say it's got a nice little Laura style trick mm-hmm. in it and mm-hmm. uh, it was really hard to not. Put two and two together on uh, that once it was revealed later in the movie. You go, Ah, okay, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the people who wrote this script saw Laura. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite a good movie and, and uh, a little out of the blue. Also, finally watched. Uh, I got in that uh, recent indicator set the from the the new Hammer set, mm-hmm. the British Blu-rays of
2: uh, oh,
3: four wow. new
1: four Hammer films. Yeah. I said four new Hammer films. Mm-hmm. The Blu-rays are new. The yeah, <laughs> films are not. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> out of there, the first one that I pulled out. To watch was one that I would only seen in a really a, a crappy, you know, third generation, God knows what only print. Uh, the the rather excellent, in my opinion, uh, film, the Scarlet Blade, which is a John mm. Gilling film.
2: I've heard of that one. I've never gotten to see it, but yeah, I wanted very to.
1: good. A standout performance from Oliver Reed. He really is. You can't take your eyes off of it. Cool. He's fantastic, and he's got a really good role in the story. Uh, Scarlet Blade well worth it and then uh, started digging through some of the extras on there as well so good so well done and uh, always there's always that dividing line when I'm watching 60s Performances by Oliver Reed is like—is this before the the facial scar or after the facial scar?
3: <laughs> and this is
1: before the facial scar, but what's funny is his character has like a dueling scar on his cheek. Oh, <laughs>
3: which I thought,
2: that's some weird foreshadowing. There. <laughs> yeah, no like, kidding.
1: Un, un, unfortunate uh, foreshadowing for for Oliver Reed
2: there, but uh,
3: <laughs>
1: Scarlet Blade is is a film that, uh, like I said, I I had admired before in a crappy uh, crappy mm. format viewing. And now seeing a, a really nice Blu-ray of it from uh, from Britain, I can say, you know, that's a th- that really is a thumbs up of a film. So
2: well, if I'm if you don't mind me glancing at your rewatch list there, and now oh. uh, it looks like you uh, checked out War of the Gargantuas, Rewatch what prompted you to uh, to rewatch that one?
1: Oh, uh, Beth Beth wanted to watch a giant monster movie.
2: That's a blast. That films a lot of yeah, fun and she'd know. never seen that. One, oh, so never. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Um, I was thinking the other day as as how much I would. I'm just just really hoping that. Uh, I'd love to see Criterion do a second box set of the of the the non Godzilla oh, yeah. yeah. non Godzilla Toho sci-fi films from the '60s and says I think would do '50s and '60s I think would just be an, a great follow-up to the Godzilla box set that they did.
1: I'm gonna agree with you. That would be wonderful. I would love to see. I don't know. I, don't, I wonder if there's some kind of weird rights thing. I'd love to get even if they put like a, a double feature of Frankenstein Conquers the World and War of the Gargantuas. Yeah, even and something out, like that would, be, like great, that yeah. would be great.
2: But, Man, you could put you know, I I they probably wouldn't have Mothra because Mothra came out not too long ago with another company on Blu ray. I don't know how yeah. long the rights will be tied up with that, but they could certainly do, you know, Rodan, you know, hasn't been out yet in yeah. Blu ray. They could do like man, you could put if you didn't want and, and if you're thinking outside not just giant monster stuff, but I mean you can put, you know, A, the H Man, you can put uh after Actagon, gone, yeah. you know, we could put a uh, space amoeba on there, and of course, Matango would be the really the the that jewel, would be but... a
1: jewel in the crown if they could get that yeah. one out. Yeah. So
2: yeah, it'd be cool to see them do something like that.
1: It would be great. I don't know if that'll. I don't know that. Mysterians,
2: happen. Mysterians could be on there. Oh yeah, know. that'd be cool. Battle in outer space. Yeah. So.
1: There's yeah there's a there's a number. Well, Battle of outer, in outer space is about to come out on Blu-ray.
2: Oh okay. You know what? I bet that's by the same right because originally, the people who just put out that Mothra Blu-ray, they originally had put that out as a three film DVD, which had Mothra Battle in outer space. And actually, it might have been The H-Man. Now I can't remember, so that may all be tied yeah, up. Or There were three films on that set, and they're probably all tied up with this other... But at least this other company is coming out with these yeah. films on yeah, Blu-ray, yeah. so...
1: I yeah, sa- Sadly, I don't know what the uh, the extras mm-hmm. are going to look like, but uh, and that just reminded me, I think the same company is putting uh, the Inter Sanctum films.
2: Oh, yes, they are. Yes. Well, <laughs> I, well, you know, which we will someday be getting to, I guess, if we continue with as this we con- series. As
1: we continue this series. We are going to, you do know we're going to be stumbling around in the uh, in the Sherlock Holmes area <laughs> uh, for a good long while. Yeah,
2: which is only like 30 films. And so that's going to well, be I, in a while. Yeah.
1: What's terrible is I just discovered that there, later this year, very late this year, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it'll be in time for a lot of what we're doing. Doing, but there's a fellow who's working on a book right now for publication later this year that is going to it's going to be just about just focusing in on the Universal Sherlock Holmes. Really? Forms. Yeah, well, that'd be yeah, yeah, Well, good. That'd be
2: it. a good excuse for me to you know again as well as doing this series because I've not seen a whole hell of a lot of them. You know, I have seen a few over the years, but compared to how many they did, I've certainly you know seen only a small percentage of them. There were them, only so, twelve
1: know. or thirteen of them. Man, come on.
2: <laughs> yeah that's all you mean that month you know I mean? that was a, that, that, a month you know 12 or 13 no, they were per making,
1: month they were making like they may have made 3 or 4 a year there for a stretch so yeah, yeah. they yeah.
2: were trying to catch up with the Bowery Boys but
1: <laughs> that's ooh. That's not a that's not a good that's no it's not, not that's a good, good, good benchmark no, to try to no. <laughs> no that's 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 going in the wrong direction but I tell you what folks
2: yes we should probably talk about, why don't we in a huge hurry to 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 talk about this film well we can, I'm we I'm
1: in a big hurry to talk about sections of this film sure. certain aspects of this film but. Uh, I do, uh, well, let's just say that I do love that it's, it's not even quite an hour long. Yeah, I know. It's like 55 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. So whatever, no, it's it's It's, it's 59. like 50, 59 minutes yeah. and like 38 seconds or yeah. something like that, I, which is mm-hmm. perfectly fine. But, folks, I tell you what, we'll take a break, yes. come back, and actually get to the topic that we're supposed to be speaking about tonight, mm-hmm. which is the Mad Doctor of Market Street from 1942. And, uh, well, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: your mileage may vary.
2: Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm.
3: or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio! Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio.
4: Hey, I'm so glad you could make it. Welcome to my little podcast here, Bill Watches Movies. I'm Bill Mize, I'm the host and creator, and I'll be helping you today. Now we're a podcast that's a little different from the other ones out there. We start off with a rich and aromatic blend of B-movie weirdness. Then we fold in some Hollywood history and biography. And finally, at the end, We sprinkled just a bit of old time radio ambiance for that finishing touch. Now we think that that unique combination will bring you an audio experience that you'll want to enjoy again and again. Each month we'll serve up a story that will entertain you and bring a smile to your face. I do hope that you'll subscribe and try an episode. They're a wee bit naughty but won't go directly to your waistline. Now, to learn even more, you can always go to our website, BillWatchesMovies.com, for show notes, blog posts, resources, and just general dorkitude. Now, I'm also on Twitter. Just search for Bill Watches Movies. I'm pretty easy to find, and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks again for checking us out. Relax, enjoy the music, and then enjoy the show.
1: Doctor of Market Street, 1942. As we mentioned earlier, uh, barely an hour long, mm-hmm. so it, uh, mm-hmm. as we said, doesn't overstay its mm-hmm. welcome. Mm-hmm. But your mileage will vary depending on how much you go into a film with that title
2: mm-hmm. and
1: are willing to accept that 80% of the movie takes place
2: <laughs> on a tropical island. Well, it's funny because I, I was, one of the things I was going to say right off the bat is, is okay, the film starts just as you think it should it, yes. it opens on a rainy street and you're like oh okay yes we're on rainy street it's obviously market street this is exactly dark, where the film should be
1: it's exactly what I
2: expected sitting down to watch this film
1: yeah 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 it's like okay good for five minutes
2: yeah right and Yeah, for, for, for a
1: little over seven minutes yeah, so
2: yeah right you're... this
1: movie is, is the mad mm-hmm. doctor is on mm-hmm. market street mm-hmm. and then he's the hell out that window
2: <laughs> escaping from the cops <laughs>
1: but before we get there Let's talk a little bit about the director. Joseph Lewis. He's a name that if you've delved into a lot of, uh, shall we say, noirish kind of cinema from this period of time, you might have run across his name. Mm-hmm. You might also know him because he directed uh, possibly one of the better... It, your mileage is also going to definitely vary mm-hmm. when you start talking about the Poverty Row horror films. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he directed one of the more interesting ones that Bela Lugosi was in, The Invisible Ghost,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: which... That title has always brought up the question: of the, mm-hmm. would, would, In general, are ghosts visible or invisible? I <laughs> yeah, never yeah, as been opposed sure. to what? Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But you know, so it's you know, the invisible ghost. He was responsible. for. Be like for. the dead
2: ghost, or saying something like that. <laughs> yeah, <know? laughs> yeah, pretty much.
1: And he, he's also he he was the man behind the camera for a number of films for a bunch mm-hmm. of poverty Ho- poverty row films, and occasionally worked in some of the mo- majors as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He uh, he did one of the Falcon movies from that series, Falcon in San Francisco.
2: I actually recently DVR'd Silver Bullet, uh, which is a Western, uh, that, but I haven't gotten around to watching it yet.
1: Yeah, that, that's one that I'm curious to see. Also, The Swordsman, which is another one that he made uh, in 1948 that I'm kind of curious about. But, of course, there's one movie that he's definitely always going to be known oh, yeah. for. the One of the most amazing film noir's of mm-hmm. all time. Yep gun crazy
2: yes if he made no other film it would, he, he would have redeemed himself just by making gun crazy it, yeah it's that, awesome. that, that 1950 yeah.
1: blast of insanity yeah. is yeah. just it's, it's a truly brilliant movie yeah. and it's he, he does a lot of innovative things in it, and it's just a really oh. tight little film as well, and just dark, dark as the pit
2: of your soul. <laughs> yes, it is. And if you don't find yourself falling terrifyingly in love with Peggy Cummings uh, in that film... <laughs> I, don't, yeah, like, I don't know who you are. It's no. like you might fall in love with her, but at the same time you want to run screaming from her, too, at the same time. Yeah, there's that.
1: <laughs> uh, he also made The Big Combo, which is another great mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. noir, mm-hmm. and uh, a film that I have a lot of time for, Terror in a Texas Town... I haven't seen that one. Uh it's worth your time. It's it's later it's later on. It's nineteen mm-hmm. It's oh, uh, Sterling Hayden. Yeah, yeah. Sterling Hayden is always worth watching. Yep. And Tarrant in Texas Town is Sebastian uh, Cabot. Said, yep, uh, yep. It's a good it's a good little film. Like I say, it's another one on his resume that's worth checking out if you uh, ever get the chance.
2: And it was co written by Dalton Trumbo too. That's ye- cool. That may be one of the reasons yeah. why it's yeah, right. worth worth your time. Right.
1: But the thing is, I mean, he he basically never really, uh, never really got uh, any kind of uh, real recognition. And I, yeah. The, the word is that he just never really had a huge hit. Not even the the standout movies that classic film buffs look back on now as truly great films like Gun Crazy and things like that. Even those movies were never they they weren't big mm-hmm. hits at their time, so he never really had a lot of clout. And was never able to really move up into anything that would allow him mm-hmm. to be more than he was and so he ended his career For the last 20 years he was he was making movie I mean he was directing I should say mm-hmm. he directed a lot of television he moved into television a very lucrative fill field of course and uh, he like made a lot of western television. Including like more than fifty episodes of The Rifleman.
2: Mm, yeah, wow. Was, yeah, yeah, seriously, that's awesome.
1: And then like uh, you know episodes of Bonanza, episodes of you mm. know Zane Grey Theater, just about everything you can think of, branded Gunsmoke, mm. every mm. everything. Yeah. If if there was a western series, obviously yeah. he was somebody. He was one of those. Yeah, he was one of the to, that group of directors who could be counted upon to mm. do do these kind of series westerns well. And uh, which is kind of a shame in a way, because if he'd ever been able to get to a point where he could have some say over what he was doing, I mean, it's clear you watch something like Gun Crazy, and that's a guy functioning at the top of his game and really is bringing something stylistic and intriguing to the material. And uh, the fact that, you know, he really, you know, just a few years after that, is relegated to mm. doing television. You know, a, d- a decade after that, he's he's looking for work and he's and he's just like, "Well, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
1: here's a steady paycheck that I can go in and do whenever whenever I get the phone call." And mm. That's okay. Obviously, you got to put food on the table, but it is a shame that a man with his talent wasn't able to parlay that into something more cinematic, I guess, something mm-hmm. larger that we, we can point to as part of a, a continuing series of, of uh, classics. Because, like I say, there are a handful mm-hmm. of his movies that you can just hold up and say, well, those are great. Mm-hmm. It's just, like a lot of things, they weren't considered great at the time.
2: Yeah, right. Well, since we're only talking about a 55-minute movie, let me tell you my gun-crazy gun story real quick. Ooh. Um, <clears throat> the, remember the 80s? I think it was in the 80s, but the remake of Breathless with Richard Gere... Yes. There's the scene I rented it, you know, when it came out in VHS in the eighties and I was watching I it and, saw and there's it a scene. There's a scene there's a scene where he's in a movie theater when he's behind he's like behind the screen and the movie the movie's playing. Yeah. And I was, I was fascinated by hearing the woman's, the actress speaking. You know, I, I thought, God, that woman's got a sexy voice. Who is that? You know, what a great, great voice, very distinct, great voice. And I, and I never forgot, but I didn't know what the movie was, you know. And I, I don't think it shows it actually in the film. If it didn't, I missed it. And it probably, I'm sure it tells at the end of the credits, but as young as I was, I guess it never occurred to me to actually, like, just sit and watch for it. But it always stayed in my head. I always, like, wondered who, because I even remember the dialogue she was saying, but I thought, like, man, what's, who's that woman with the amazing voice? <laughs> Years and years, years and years later, decades later, I finally watched Gun Crazy and realized it was Peggy Cummins in Gun Crazy was who I'd been, the voice had been <laughs> fascinated. I'd even seen her for years and been watching Night of the Demon, you know, which she's in. But of course, yeah. she's playing a very, very different kind of character. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so there's one of those great moments where suddenly something comes full circle. You get an answer to a mystery That you don't think you'll ever have, you know, that that finally it just comes, you know, (laughs) it comes to you and you realize who what it is.
1: It's the kind of thing that that nowadays just will send you down Mm. an internet rabbit hole. Oh sure, back then.
2: Oh back yeah. You're just like like, where do I find the answer? I'm not. Yeah, yeah, there's no way to to know. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Uh, These are these Mm. are in some ways these are the days.
2: Yeah right sure in in terms yeah.
1: (laughs) All right, well let's talk about the Mad Doctor of Market Street because Mm -hmm. uh, yeah you're right this is this is less than an hour long, but I will say. For a movie with uh, a mad doctor, front and center, right in the title, this is a weird one.
2: Yes, is, like, yes it is.
1: And, and I'm going to have to say, this mad doctor, I'm not even sure he was a doctor.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
1: pretty sure he wasn't.
2: It may just be a guy who bought some lab equipment and and, and just set up a...
1: At one point, he <laughs> refers to himself as a chemist. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, whoa, mm-hmm. back up. Back up, buddy. Yeah. Are you saying that... You never got a doctorate, and we're calling you the Mad Doctor of Market Street. Mm. <laughs> I'm willing to throw the flag on this play right now. This is not good. I don't know. I don't know who thought this was a good idea. But I do like the fact that he, if he refers, he refers to himself as a doctor, and mm. he definitely has a an overlarge sense of his own capabilities.
2: <laughs> yes, he he does,
1: which he eventually pays mm. for. I don't think we're giving anything <laughs> specific away with that. Yeah. Although we're going to ruin this, just get used to it, because this thing's only an hour long, and the joys within it, you're going to know by the way we talk whether this is going to be a movie that you will enjoy watching or not.
2: Yeah, and I can't really say that there's a whole lot of big plot reveals in this film that you know need to be protected, uh, to be honest. I think it kind of plays out more or less what you expect, for the most part. Well, it has
1: one surprise that comes completely it has one surprise that comes completely out of left field. It's got,
2: it was, some, it's got some inexplicable things I can say that but you know it's very Well, uh, yeah, yeah. well that's some, <laughs> it's
1: got some bad humor too. Yeah, we'll, well
2: yeah we'll get into We'll that. talk about
1: that. There's, it's got some good humor too but Yeah I mean
2: yeah the, exactly. the, it's not that the people the people who are playing the humor are not bad it's just oh, no. they're not given a whole lot to do with. What's interesting <laughs> is it's something right off the bat too strange about the beginning of the film is is realizing that uh, Lionel Atoll is not top billed. Uh, actually one of the comic relief characters is actually gets top billing in this film, which I thought was unusual.
1: Which is very strange.
2: Yes, it is.
1: Now, don't get me wrong.
2: Oh, yeah. I the like more, the actress well. Yes, a lot. and I know she already, I mean, looking at, she, I know she'd already established herself yeah. as a popular comic actress, but I thought, oh, Pinky was pretty popular by this point, too. So, I, I, you know, and he is the title character. Well, it would be a good time now to. And he's point the one gnawing on the film, gnawing on <laughs> the celluloid through <laughs> Well,
3: yeah, let's,
1: let's be clear. Una Merkel was top billed in this for some odd reason, except yeah. in, in re-releases where they did front and center. Lionel Latwell Oh, they did for, re-releases. re-releases. Yeah, okay. you, can, you can see re-release poster. Of oh, okay. art, where they can and it has a big picture of his face and his name is larger than hers. Okay, but not in the initial release. She yeah. was listed first, and that is uh, a <laughs> that's that's a very strange thing to do, considering you know mm-hmm. he's the freaking title character. Yeah, yeah, and she's quite good. Don't get me wrong, but the reason to watch this movie. Is to watch Lionel Atwill be evil.
2: Oh yes, that is and it. And <laughs> slick
1: and sly, and he is—he's giving a—he's giving it his all. But one of the reasons why uh, Lionel Atwill may not have been—I don't want to—I I, can't—I don't—I can't know this for sure. But just the year before this. Lionel Atwill had gone through a trial where. Oh, so this was, was after the scandal was in. Yeah, yeah. he, uh, he was not. He was not on trial himself. Right. For, for what was going on, he was not mm-hmm. on trial, but he was uh, put on. Uh, he 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 did have to testify in a particular trial about the rape of a teenager. Yeah. Now he was not. Right. Now understand, he was yeah. not accused of no, rape. No. But he. But this was a big scandal, and he was one of the people who had to testify.
3: Mm.
1: Now here's the thing, though. Uh, when he did his when he testified, he did perjure himself. Not that he got charged for perjury during the course of this trial, but what he perjured himself about was he he lied and, and claimed that he did not show quote unquote blue movies to mm-hmm. his guests. In other words, you know, yeah. porno films, right, right, essentially uh, to his guests. Uh, that was a lie. Yeah. That was part of these parties that went on at Lionel Atwell's mm-hmm. house. But uh he did lie about that on the stand, and so he did know that that was something that could eventually be tugged on mm-hmm. and by the legal system and get him in trouble so along with that, and the year before the uh, the death of his uh, the death of his son, uh, which had mm-hmm. been a very you know that's there's no way to look at that situation and not be mm-hmm. really a really kind of a, a a person with a damaged psyche one way yeah. or the other someone yeah. who is going to have some uh some concern anxiety and and that that's the kind of thing that changes somebody's personality and way of looking at life forever so with those things in mind that might be one of the reasons why he wasn't necessarily top build i could
2: could see that yeah i could see that because i had not realized where it fell in in relation to the uh the trial and everything. And it is possible that they just might have felt like, well, we can give him high billing, but maybe just because of some of the public perception that, that maybe we should put somebody who has a much more favorable public image right now as, yeah. at the top. So that would make sense.
1: And, and and one one thing you have to point out is that when this comes out in 1942, Lionel Lightwell is only going to be alive for another four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, four years. He's, he passes in 1946. But in those years, he was in a number of films oh, yeah. that I dearly love. Oh, I finally God. recently saw *Pardon My Sarong*. He's got a mm-hmm. small role in right, that, and, right. he and he and uh, Luke Costello have some mm-hmm. great scenes mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. I mean, because mm-hmm. he played perfectly against Luke Costello mm-hmm. in that movie, and he and he's uh, he, he gives another standout performance in that. He's also in a lot of little movies that I love. He's going to be he's in uh, *Ghost of Frankenstein*, mm-hmm. *Fog Island*, *Night Monster*. Uh, Sherlock Holmes in The Secret Weapon. He's in a number of movies in the next few years mm-hmm. that I have a lot of love oh, for. Oh, yeah, same here. And so uh, Lionel Atwill is one of those actors, I just want to mm-hmm. put this out there now, mm-hmm. who never let me down.
2: Yeah, and, he, and and was also capable, you should say, of when he had more subtle material, doing more subtle work. I mean, I just, you know, uh, you know my, uh, probably my, really my overall favorite universal film, is, pr- and that's tough to say because something I love, but it's probably Son of Frankenstein. Yeah. But I often said about that, that amazing cast doing all incredible work and he really almost steals the show you know he says you know because he's 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 so amazing in it and there's really nice subtle things he does because that film is is so much more you know even though he and Rathbone have some great you know, kind of going for it scenes, especially Rathbone, yeah. who's just manic through the whole thing. Well, but Atwell kind of plays off that manicness a lot exactly. of times and with this nice. And that's you the know. thing that
1: it's nice to see yeah. those two yeah. actors doing in Son of yeah. Frankenstein,
2: which is yeah.
1: Rathbone's character becomes more and more manic, yeah. and there is there's that mm-hmm. feeling that, that character is teetering on the brink of madness mm-hmm. because of all the balls he's juggling in the air at the same time. Yeah, and Atwill is just so rock solid in those yeah. scenes with him. Yeah. Yeah. Where he suspects, yeah. doesn't have any proof, mm-hmm. but knows that if he could
2: just play with it, he yeah. could can, can, mm-hmm.
1: watch mm-hmm. and see one of those balls hit the floor.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And he's at it, it, it Wood, like I say. He's one of those actors like Vincent Price who never let me down. Yeah. You can call them when when Ham was called for. Oh, yeah. When the performance needed to be hammy Mm -hmm.
2: like in this film. Well, it's like I put in my notes here. He he never met a syllable he didn't like. You know, he savors every, you know, and just from the very first, you know, when he knows he's got his face lit by the end, he's just talking about, you know, you know, I need new specimens. Or you know, he'll <laughs> say those words like, "Where well, you just, see, just, see, just, see. love." Yeah, I mean, he knows what he's going for. He's got a one note character, so he's just playing that note. You know, oh, yeah. to, he's going to, he's to gonna, gonna, yeah. play
1: it out. To the, he's going to yeah. play that string all the way out. And yeah. th- there's a he has an incredible understanding of how to communicate mm-hmm. the the thoughts behind a character's yeah. eyes. Mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. really, really good at it. Mm-hmm. And so, the reason to see this movie is there's some there's some other pleasures in the movie. Don't get me wrong. But the reason to see it, the number one reason, is always going to be Lionel.
3: Yeah, well. Yeah, so. yeah.
1: Well, let's talk about the the plot for just a minute. We'll get mm-hmm. to some of the other actors as we go along. Right. This is a pretty cheap film, but mm-hmm. I will say, like you say, in those first seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel cheap. No, no. And it's and then, granted, it's it's we're on the back lot streets. Right. And they yeah. and it's and it's night and it, mm-hmm. and it looks good and, and mm-hmm. all this stuff and the the scene between well, the first seven minutes. Mm-hmm. You feel like, oh man, this this could be a little hit. Exactly,
2: you really this feel like you're. A, yeah, man. yeah.
1: I do love. We'll end up using the uh, the plot synopsis, which I'm going to have a lot of bones to pick with. By the way, okay. from the Universal Horrors Book, because
2: okay. lot of, not, there not,
1: there's some incorrect information okay. in this okay. in this uh, in this plot synopsis. All right, but I will agree with this. Uh, straight out of the Universal Horrors Book it says uh, the storyline is pure Hokum. I agree.
2: No, I won't quibble with that. <laughs> That's, I,
1: I, let me put, it to, you with, let me put it to you this way: mm. it's the 1940s, mm. and it's a mad scientist film. Yeah,
2: yeah. The really, yeah, is yeah, Hocum what is, is called exactly. for. You got it.
1: This is what is necessary. Mm-hmm. Sign me up, maximum hokum,
3: mm. <laughs> right
1: now. Okay, Dr. Ralph Benson, who is Lionel Atwell, a self-proclaimed professor of research. Parenthetically, he's later referred to as a chemist, as I mentioned earlier. Enthusiastically pursues his experiments in suspended animation. Now, suspended animation—that was a big deal. That was one of the many things that were that were in the uh, in the fringe news stuff for the mm. the 20s and 30s and 40s, along the lines of uh, of a gland, ex- gland extracts and things right. like that. That weird stuff, like in the 70s. Everybody knew Bigfoot and the Bermuda Triangles. Right, right, right. Well, in the yeah. 20s and 30s and stuff, mm-hmm. basically gland extracts from animals and like an injecting yeah, like right. stuff yeah, that you would it, pull yeah. out of a uh, monkey into yeah, a human into a, being yeah, right. to, to, to do something mm-hmm. strange. Mm-hmm. Suspended animation, things like this, where you freeze people, mm. this would turn up again and again in, in different mad scientist films. Right. There's a great Boris Karloff mad scientist film that that mm. suspended animation features heavily in. Mm. So these are the kind of things that were just in the air and therefore would get pulled in and into mm. these these weird ass mad scientist stories. Thank goodness, because the weirder the better as far as this. <laughs> Well, he's not satisfied with laboratory animals as subjects because he's apparently had some decent success with them, although he tells us that. We see no evidence of it. Right. Benson lures Sanders, a down-on-his-luck family man, to his San Francisco office. The scientist promises a cash payment of $1,000, which he then removes from his wallet to show the guy, Mm. if he will consent to being a living guinea pig in his first experiment with a human subject. Sanders accepts the offer, even though Benson puts the wad of bills the scientist was dangling in front of him back into his wallet, now that's not true.
2: Mm, mm, I watched yeah, this yeah, film just the other night, uh-huh.
1: and I can tell you right now that the guinea pig person
2: uh-huh.
1: picks that money up off that table and puts it in his pocket.
2: Oh, yeah, very, very, very so good, very good. That observation. is not
1: true. Uh huh. I have a bone to pick, Mister Weaver. <laughs> Saunders accepts the offer, and uh, let's just say. Sanders' wife has been concerned and has already gone to the police. Played this by Ann Nagel. Played by Ann Nagel in a very small, role. which
2: is odd because we've just we've not very far removed from her. You now I know her career, and as we know, is a very sad trajectory as far as her life story. You know, yeah. but but it's a, but it is interesting that we're just within. A year seeing her, you know, in, in starring roles and then is how odd it is to see her in just what's essentially a cameo here. Yeah,
1: I mean this is she's got yeah, like one two, yeah Two scenes. Yeah. I mean the yeah. scene with the cops and then the scene where mm-hmm. they discover the body and that's it. Right. Yeah. And she's and she's done. That's it's truly bizarre. And she gets, you know, a de- decent billing as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, she did.
1: Uh, she's Saunders' wife. She has learned of her husband's intentions and has alerted the police. As a squad car approaches Benson's office. The alarmed scientist discovers that Sanders has died <laughs> because he's a shitty but mad scientist. <laughs> yeah. The mad the mad scientist escapes through the window as the cops burst in the front yeah. door, which I think is great. Oh yeah, the the literally one step in yeah. front of the law mad scientist who just uh, fucked up his first yeah. human experiment,
3: yeah.
1: dubbed the Mad Doctor of Market Street. Benson dodges a police dragnet and boards a luxury liner uh, destined for Australia, passing himself off as an antiques dealer. And of course, he does this because, in the opening seven minutes of the film, he has a, a nice bushy beard. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, he then removes the nice bushy beard, or shall we, or sh- the nice... sh- shaves it. <laughs> yeah, right. Shaves it. Shaves yeah. it down. Uh-huh. So then, of course, <laughs> he looks like a completely different person. <laughs> Except he looks exactly like Lionel Labwell. <laughs> it's very strange. Anyway. Yes. Uh, <laughs> although undercover cop Crandall is hot on his heels, Benson has little to fear. His adversary proves so inept he can't even identify his man upon meeting him face to face. Now, that's not
2: all that Yeah, that's about to say. Like I can say, some here's, my, that was here's my
1: second bone yeah. to pick with this description of the film.
2: Yeah. It's, his, his, he
1: don't, they don't have pictures of the guy. Yeah.
2: And his appearance is, can change still. I mean, that beard was pretty prominent. I mean, it yeah. does look considerably different.
1: They only have a verbal description of the guy. Mm-hmm. And that is all. And and, mm-hmm. the, and the detective even says as he's talking to the one of the officers on the ship, it's like, right. you know, he, you know, even with that description it doesn't matter because he can mm-hmm. shave and he can do other things to change his appearance. So, yeah. you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't have a real problem with that occurrence. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I, 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 like I say, that's my second bone to pick with mm-hmm. the Universal Horror's description of this film's plot. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm not really... He's, he's, it also says, blowing his cover, the detective Crandall announces to all within earshot that he's out to nail the fugitive scientist. That's another bone to pick, because mm. that is not true. He is having a one-on-one conversation with one of the officers. Yeah, right, yeah. When, he, when he's discussing this stuff. And mm. Lionel Atwill's character mm. has gone out of his way to be near enough to overhear this without being seen. Yeah. So he yeah. identifies that this guy is... A cop and is definitely on board to try mm-hmm. to find him. Mm-hmm. In spite of his receding hairline and unmistakable build, <laughs> Benson easily eludes detection merely by shaving off his beard and tosses Crandall overboard at the first opportunity. Now, that's a decent description of what occurs in the movie, yeah. but mm-hmm. as it plays the movie, it's actually pretty. It's it's actually a pretty well done scene. Yeah, yeah, because it gives yeah. Lionel Atwell the chance to. Mm. Be very smooth mm-hmm. to ingratiate mm-hmm. himself mm-hmm. just well enough mm-hmm. to put himself in the position to be able to mm-hmm. get rid of this guy. Right, but he is spotted mm-hmm. running away by another character. He's mm-hmm. not; his face isn't seen. Right, and then almost immediately, something happens on this ship
3: <laughs>
1: that every time I wa- I've watched this movie three times now in my entire life, <laughs> I'm, this is the third time I've watched it, and each time uh-huh. I think to myself, "Well, shit, did Vincent do this? Yeah, did he? Did he set this fire?" Because a flash fire engulfs the USS, I mean, the SS Paradise.
2: Yeah. Because your only other explanation is this is just incredibly convenient. You yeah. You know, that's your two options. Either he said it or this is just a plot contrivance in the biggest sense of the word. But that is it what just, it is. Yeah, yeah, That's what it turns out to be. Right.
1: Now, this plot this plot synopsis has also skipped over the fact that by this time we've been introduced to most of the other characters right. in the picture. Right. Uh, which, which are... Uh, A number of them are comedic characters, Mm -hmm. uh, including the aforementioned Una Merkel, who plays the aunt of another character. Uh, Now, understand that Una Merkel is quite fun in this movie. Yeah. She is actually a a blast of uh, verve and energy Mm -hmm. when on screen. And when given decent dialogue, she can be Mm -hmm. a blast. Mm -hmm. Um, This movie occasionally gives her some decent lines, but not frequently.
2: Right. If it... it, (sighs) Uh, the thing she does become they're just too much of it without there being anything else from the character and, yeah. and it's just not that well written in most places you're right there's times when what she does is amusing but the fact that she does only amusing things constantly you know that it just becomes wearying although like you said sometimes she's the only thing kind of she's the thing really injecting at least some energy, some energy into into the proceedings
1: I, I agree I agree we're also introduced to uh, well there she, she plays the aunt of mm. another character who is, a, is essentially kind of the the, the female lead in, mm. in, 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 a, in a way, I guess you would put it.
3: Mm.
2: Female romantic lead, I the, guess you would
1: say. There you go, female romantic lead. That's the good way to
0: put it. You see, I've gone as far as I can in my scientific research among the lower animals and my experiments in that field have met with complete success. But it is obvious that my findings will not be accepted for the medical world until they have first been demonstrated upon... A human being. And if your experiment fails... Oh, have no fear, my dear boy. Have no fear. All these have been placed in a state of suspended animation for various periods of time, during which previously induced diseases have been completely cured. Do you know what that means, man? Disease, the scourge of humanity, will be cast out. Human beings will be placed in a cataleptic state until a cure is effected. Then, resuscitated and returned to normal life. Think of it, man. The span of human life will be prolonged indefinitely. And think of the part you're playing this great boon to mankind. Right now, my interest in mankind comes a little closer to home. Tell me, how long do you think your wife and family had a square meal? Too long a thousand dollars go a long way towards solving that problem how long would you want to keep me that way only long enough to substantiate my theories if anything happens you'll see that my wife gets this money nothing will happen my dear boy nothing now let me have your coat Now, take your place on the table. Roll up your right sleeve and relax.
1: Okay, so Patricia Wentworth is the the romantic lead,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and she's played by Claire Dodd. Mm-hmm. And she's an attractive lady. I oh like yeah,
2: her. certainly. She's
1: she's actually she's as good as she could be in this picture.
2: Right, with what, what she's given, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, with what's with what's on the page, mm-hmm. and uh, she's traveling with her aunt Margaret, who is played by Anna mm-hmm. Merkel. And they have, an inter- they have an interesting relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little puzzled by.
2: The lack of age difference between the two? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. They, they, well, they make mention of it. Yeah, in the, the film. yeah,
2: but they don't really, I think, really maybe explain it w- exactly. Do they explain how exactly that well, came it's,
1: about? It's, I'll admit, it's not that hard once you think about it for a second, but it is something where you, uh, you almost wish they either had addressed it or hadn't addressed mm-hmm. it. And if they 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 kind of go halfway in the movie, they Mm. they make mention of it in the first Mm. when she's the ant character is first introduced. Yeah. But what I wish they'd done is either go further and Mm. say, "Oh yeah, your your mother was you know born 15 years after Mm. me, and that's why our Mm. ages are... you know or whatever Mm. whatever Mm. it Mm. is, Mm. so that we get a sense of why these two characters really are only about seven or eight years apart in age. Mm -hmm. It would appear. Yeah. So, uh that would be a good way to set that set that table or to just not mention it at all right yeah and to let it play out as it is because to be honest it doesn't matter no the the, the, the age difference between this this you know woman who's clearly supposed to be in her early 20s mm-hmm. and her aunt who looks to be in her I don't know mid to late 30s mm,
2: yeah right it's, it's a, I would Maybe. say yeah that's what i would think that's what appears to me and well, her aunt is on the way to new zealand there's a guy who's been courting her, right? Or she's been sort of. Yes. At a, that she's had a. That <laughs> yes. Like, so supposedly, possibly heading to the altar with or something, I think.
1: Correct. Uh, she has been to visit this very wealthy man in New Zealand. This is her fifth trip there. Right. Well, maybe right. fourth mm-hmm. or fifth. She yeah. can't remember exactly. Oh, part. yes, right. And each time it's strange because he's just not. He's he's not. He's out of the country on, on business, hmm. which I think is hilarious because that's a great little. Character piece mm-hmm. to learn about her—the fact mm-hmm. that she either hasn't caught on to mm. this guy blowing her off, <laughs> yeah. or this is a really weird situation—and mm-hmm. then of course it does pay off. Yes, it does. It does. They do actually. Clearly, yeah. this guy really does care about mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. because he is. He, he ends up once they're lost, once the mm-hmm. ship goes down, and they're stranded on a desert island. Mm-hmm. Not to spoil things, <laughs> he's the reason that they're mm-hmm. that the, that people are searching so frantically because he's put up a five thousand dollar reward trying to find his bride. Yeah. So we're introduced to these characters. We're also introduced to uh, a prize fighter character who's essentially just a comic character played mm-hmm. by, is it Nate? Uh,
2: I think Nat Pendleton.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Nat Pendleton.
2: Yeah. Pendleton. Who, who is a. A, a nice recognizable face from a lot of movies. I mean, it's like he's you know, talk about again somebody who boy got stereotyped yeah. as playing just pretty much a, a, he, was a, a lug.
1: he was a wrestler. He was a wrestler. Yeah.
2: But he but he uh he pretty much is is uh, a, a, a lug, you know, and in, in yeah. pretty much in pretty much all the films that he was in, he's he's uh, whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, he's he's um you know, he he always played somebody named like Moose or something like that. You know, who would uh, and, 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 yeah
1: usually usually a name derived yeah. from a, from a large animal, yeah. Moose or yeah.
2: Buffalo. In or. this case, he's Red. In this case, they gave him a color this time. But he's Red Hogan. You know, but he's a I guess. <laughs> he gave him a color. A color. Just to differentiate. Yeah, exactly, yeah.
3: Jesus Christ.
1: At least he, at least he was never named, named Lama. <laughs> we don't want to move into the bird area. It's like these large, call Emu. I don't, what the fuck? Okay, okay, I'll get back yeah. on track, I swear. We're introduced to him and a couple of other characters, including... A ship steward character named Jim, who's played by Richard Davies, mm-hmm. who uh, is clearly uh, interested in Patricia, the mm-hmm. Claire Dodd character, he uh, is pushed aside. Mm-hmm. He he comes up to this party and uh, asks her to dance. She seems more than willing mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to go and dance with this fellow. When uh, he gets cock-blocked pretty hard by yeah, yeah, yeah. by an mm-hmm. officer that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, definitely thinks that ship stewards are not supposed to be. Mingling with the guests in this manner, mm. and he's probably right.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so I mean, not not right from a from a uh, <laughs> a spiritual or ethical. Yes,
2: but just right from you know, yeah, yes. that probably it probably wasn't really uh, considered <laughs> the right thing to do if you're yes, a Yes, it was not. You're supposed so. to be. Yes. Your
1: your your servant, to get your ass back downstairs. Right. So, well, when this fire starts to burn on the SS Paradise, uh, Benson, along with a handful of his fellow passengers, board a lifeboat. Which beaches on a nearby island?
2: And by the way, we're treated to lots of stock footage from some obviously other movie of uh, of a ship.
1: Yeah, it's from a film from like nineteen thirty five. It's actually pretty well integrated. Oh, it is. Yeah, the, you yeah. know,
2: it is. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's really only when you, I mean, if you didn't have a concept of, of the film's budget, you know, when you see the film and you already know that it was a low budget programmer yeah. from a certain time, then you're automatically know okay, this did this these scenes didn't fit in this film's budget. Otherwise, like you said, it's integrated pretty well. You probably yep. wouldn't know that.
1: Uh, well, the uh, the ship steward Jim makes the announcement that there is not a soul on the island, and within moments, mm. the harried group is surrounded by a mob of headhunters determined to sacrifice them in an emotion in a ceremonial, ceremonial fire. I have my third bone to pick with this.
2: Mm.
1: They're headhunters.
2: No, there's no evidence of that whatsoever.
1: This film shows no evidence that the, this yeah. tribe of people are headhunters. No, no, no. no. Uh, they're just a native tribe. Right who luckily for the filmmakers, mm. no English. Yeah. <laughs> that's really, that's as far as things need to go there.
2: Mm. They're um, led by Noble Johnson. Uh, that's another, uh, another familiar face. Oh
1: yes. The leader, mm. the chieftain is Noble Johnson, who is uh, is an actor I I really always love to see. Yeah. yeah. I, I recently saw him again in, uh, Murders in the Room, Lagosi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. although he's, he's, strangely enough, he's in like weird blackface. Yeah. And that, yeah. which is strange because, uh, anyway, it's, it's bizarre. But the, uh, the thing we should mention is that uh, this movie if you had any question about its budget not just the stock footage would have given it away which you know it would have to be stock stock footage but also we see them being lowered in the boat toward the ocean Hmm. and then we Cut to them being on the island. Yeah. <laughs> we don't see them in the boat on the water. We don't see them yeah. wash them on the shore. We don't see anything yeah. like
2: yeah. that. Yeah. They not have the object budget to film in a tank, in you know, a yeah, tank of water. There was we're
1: there. not doing that. Cut to them on the... Yeah. I mean, and before, I mean, before we even see them, we see uh, this one uh, native, this younger native boy um mm. uh, Played by uh, Ray Mala, who was uh, a guy, a guy who apparently Hollywood used to play a lot of different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. He was famous yeah. as the uh, star of the nineteen thirty three film Eskimo. So you know, he goes mm-hmm. from being an Eskimo to being <laughs> a Pacific Islander. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, what, whatever, whatever. Uh,
2: one more person in the cast we should go ahead and just uh, point out as familiar face is the the uh, the guy who uh, had originally ran yeah. off the steward there, you know, and told him to stop mingling with, the, you oh, know, he, the officer, being, yes, is John Eldridge, who yes, we've yep. seen in Black, exactly. Black Friday. Now here's, well, that's true, yeah. Now here's the thing about, yes, he was cousin George or cousin somebody in Black Friday, so here's the thing about John Eldridge is <clears throat> based on at least the films that we have seen him in or seen him in is, he was handsome, but he had a swarthy complexion, which meant he could only play a cad in these in these films. <laughs> and that's pretty much his note in all these films. Is like oh. you know, he's like, well, he's he's handsome enough that he's got to play an intelligent character, but we're just going to have to make him a scumbag, you know, because he's 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 not Caucasian. He's, he's, he's not, not Caucasian, so yes. he's, he's got he's got to go he's got to <laughs> yeah, go exactly. the asshole bin. It's the '40s, folks. So yep, yeah, yep,
1: yep. <laughs> when you reach for a
2: character, <laughs> asshole is what <laughs> he's going to be. Yep. <laughs>
1: Well, that's one of the weirder things I mean, that we uh, we've talked in the past before about how uh, sometimes an actor has the face to mm. be a villain. Yeah. In other words, their yeah, face right. is perfect for right. villainy on screen. They look mm-hmm. right for mm-hmm. that kind of role, and almost invariably, the people who mm. repeatedly play villains, mm-hmm. when you know them in real life, are the sweetest human beings on no, earth. Sure, They're yeah, like yeah, really, sure. really mm-hmm. wonderful, mm-hmm. kind people.
2: Yeah.
1: And I, do, it does make me wonder mm-hmm. about other types who get you know who just because of their particular looks mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. typecast into certain mm-hmm. roles, mm-hmm. and it does become a thing where you're just like, well, you know, so like. Yeah. Are all people who are cast in romantic comedies? Did they have to? The real personalities have to be that of a true asshole. I mean, I just, I, I'm not well, saying that I know anything for a fact <laughs>
2: on this on any particular. But it, actor. but it is a it's, common a common thing is maybe they just maybe it just means that they're such nice people that they just dig so into those roles because they are getting to play against type, you know, so much. You know, now <laughs> it does make me think of uh, something I've been experiencing a lot. Going through, I'm doing my rewatch of Game of Thrones, you know, and I've been listening to all the audio commentaries too. And one of the things you always hear about. Jack Gleason, who played Joffrey, you know Joffrey's oh, yeah. probably one of the most hated characters in the history oh, of yeah. television, and everybody on those on those audio commentaries every time he pops to a screen says, you know, he says, I have, you know, we have to continually. People ask me all the time, is he really this horrible? <laughs> We're constantly telling people that he's the nicest. Man, you, nicest young man you will ever meet in your life, and he's just—they like <laughs> say he's just the greatest person, and yet he's probably played the most he's hated, most, yeah. most hated character in the history of television. Probably, so. its not—it's
1: not, it's not a surprise. Yeah, there, yeah. Like I say, there's just something about that. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, no, no. They're just really good at mm-hmm. looking and mm-hmm. acting like a villain and a scumbag yeah. and, a, and yeah. a bastard on screen. It's like mm-hmm. that's not—that's not who they are. It's <laughs> not know. what they are. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well so.
0: If our signal got through, we'll be picked up all right. Well, I hope so. I must get to New Zealand. I simply must. Aunt Margaret's planning to be married. Yes. But every time I get there, Sir Archibald has just left. You know, this is my sixth trip to New Zealand. Is it seven? I must speak to him about that. Hey, you know, I'm booked to fight Mulligan. If I don't show up, he'll think I took a powder. Well, all we need is some food and we'll have breakfast. Did you see any signs of other survivors or people that might live here? Well, no, Mr. Graham, I don't believe there's anybody else on the island.
1: So the natives show up. They they, they aren't taking them off to be sacrificed, or at least not quite yet. They're, they're not a very friendly tribe, but mm-hmm. our good old bad doctor, Mr. Benson, convinces the tribe that he is the quote-unquote god of life and proves it by reviving the comatose wife of the native chief with a shot of adrenaline. Now this I think is pretty damn clever stuff because mm-hmm. the one the mm-hmm. one thing mm-hmm. that that Benson grabbed and got onto the boat with him as he got as the ship went down mm-hmm. was his case of chemicals and yep. pills and yep. all these different things, yep. and he is clever enough to have spotted the mm-hmm. fact. And if you watch really carefully, and it's nice to have it have this film in HD now. You can pay attention to the fact that this woman doesn't. But they the natives think she's dead but she mm. doesn't she she appears to still be breathing
3: mm-hmm.
1: not deeply but mm-hmm. she's not dead and I think mm-hmm. that I think that that's what this guy spotted mm-hmm. because what he ends up doing is giving her a shot of adrenaline mm-hmm. and then waving uh uh what is it under under her nose? Mm. The
2: uh, oh oh uh, like uh, amyl nitro? what yeah, yeah. what do they call that? Something? Yeah, is that what they, what they you know, break? they break under their? Or and their of course, nose? it bring,
1: yeah. and it brings her
2: out of it. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, it, and it's like ha See what it was is she was she had she was passed out. She was not dead.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I and I and that allows mm-hmm. him to fool these people into thinking that he brought her back to life.
2: Mm-hmm. God, now you got me. Like I, I know I should know the name of what you're talking about that he puts under her nose that they used I to revive people and why isn't coming to me anyway? I yeah, am well Among you it seems like that may be in it I don't know if that's I can't remember. It. Yeah. oh well
1: anyway I would say right in but by that time we will have forgotten all about
2: this <laughs> we'll be like why should you why are you bothering us with this trivial information <laughs> with
1: this idiotic <laughs> information what, well, what I love is that up till now you remember our, do- our good mad doctor has been traveling under an assumed
2: name and mm-hmm. uh, an
1: assumed job title mm-hmm. and by doing this he knows that he's basically kind of outing himself as the guy who this cop was looking for on the boat
2: mm-hmm.
1: well Surrounded by a throng of admiring savages who spout Mm -hmm. lines like, Anything you want, you ask. Yeah. Benson lusts after his fellow castaway Patricia Wentworth. Now, that doesn't come immediately. No, it doesn't. Essentially, what happens first, like I say, I have bones to pick with this. What he does first is he's like, okay, thank God, because now he saved, he saved his, his, his own life and everybody else's life, mm-hmm. which kind of gives him a little clout with mm-hmm. everybody to a degree because it's mm-hmm. like, hey, we don't be dead if it wasn't for what he just did, right. which is great, but his thought is to immediately just say, well, this is great. I can set my lab back up and get to work here, and nobody will interfere with me, and mm-hmm. I've got all these natives here willing to do anything I freaking will want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to continue my experiments with human subjects. So, that's all that's in his mind. He's rather, I have to admit, like a mad scientist, he's rather single-minded about following his mm-hmm. work. He wants to continue mm-hmm. this whole suspended animation mm-hmm. thought process through to the very end. It's not until
3: <laughs>
1: the woman that he revived <laughs> comes in and is, of course, phoning all over him and is very ad- admiring of him mm-hmm. and brings up the idea of him possibly wanting a native bride that mm. the idea occurs to our dear mad doctor mm. that he might want, actually, mm-hmm. I know who I want. <laughs> and that would be Patricia yeah. Wentworth. I, li- I like this idea that it wasn't even in his field of view. Mm. He was so single-minded
2: mm-hmm. that mm.
1: that is off the table for him until yeah. somebody uh-huh. like waves yeah. a red flag and is like, yeah. don't you want to have sex? Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that yeah. not something you want to... <laughs> I, I, I like
0: that. Taneo, much better. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Did you break up the boat as I told you? White people must not leave the island. You wanted to see us? Yes, come in. Hey, that was a great trick you done there. How about showing me so I can be the life of the party? <laughs> I'm afraid you haven't the mentality to learn it. What's the idea of ordering people around? It's a habit run required. A very pleasant one. I dare say you know that I'm Ralph Benson. And naturally, you're aware that I'm wanted for murder, but there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, if we could have you arrested, there's a law against murder, and you know it. There's only one law here at present, and that's mine. Please remember that. I asked you here because I wanted to tell you we're all remaining on this island. I, that I may continue my experiments, before long, I'll be able to bring people back who've been dead for months, maybe years. I'll be the greatest man who ever set foot on this earth. All will honor my name well, what do you want us for well naturally I have no intention of you informing the police of my whereabouts besides it might be necessary for me to experiment upon the more civilized that'll be all for the present you may go now uh,
2: can I take this moment to point out to uh, just a couple little bits of dialogue that I, <laughs> I just sort of had to jot down okay yeah okay so. You're right. They've discovered. You know, they know now who this guy they've been traveling with is. He saved their lives, and so they're sort of in the the. You know, yeah. while he's while he's sort of building his grandiose schemes, there's the rest of the characters are sort of there to you know twiddle their thumbs and you know and, but the character of Jim and Patricia in one of their discussions there, talking about the Doctor Benson's you know experiments. First thing Jim says, he says, he sort of throws this line off casually. He says, talking about suspended animation, he says people have been kept alive indefinitely by freezing. Yeah, they have. Really? <laughs> like, and, uh, Name um, one person. I, and, uh, you know, now I meant to jump on Google and re- research this. they so, like, did I miss something in all these years I've been alive about, you know. He, and then in almost the next breath, he says, uh, he's talking about Benson. He says like, yeah, he's, he's suspended life, which is no great miracle. It's not? It's, it's not? It's, it's like, what year is well, this supposed all, to take place? So, no,
1: <laughs> I mean, first of all, A, no, he hasn't.
2: Yeah, right. Sure, yeah. And
1: B, <laughs> What the fuck?
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> are we? Uh, we're on a we're on a we're in an alternate reality. Yeah, I know
2: that's what I'm thinking. I was thinking like, did yeah, said, but it's it's weird that you just threw out those two lines. and was just like, N- um, I don't think so. You know? No, it's
5: you're, like you're, you're it's right.
2: like I think there's there's the one famous you know urban legend of Walt Disney being frozen. You know, is it still being frozen <laughs> under Walt Disney World? But other than that, to my knowledge, uh, we've not actually perfected though, and they you know <laughs> freezing uh, people. Uh, and, you uh, know,
1: uh, unless Futurama turns out to be reality, <laughs> there are not frozen mm. heads. That can be, yeah. be revised yeah. later on. Sorry. Not that that wouldn't be fun.
2: Hey, and if people... people centuries from now want to learn about Paul Nashie, we would volunteer to have our heads frozen that we could, like, <laughs> you know, they could thaw us out to talk about... Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so
1: <laughs> we don't want to save the heads of, you yeah. know, Anthony Fauci or people who actually know shit that will keep you alive. No.
2: Our podcasters must be saved. Yes, podcasters,
1: we're the important ones. going. that's
2: damn right. You. Damn it!
1: Oh, good lord! You have a you have a, a an outsized sense of your importance, my friend.
2: <laughs> Maybe at some point they'll say, "And hey, you want a wife too, don't you?" And we'll be like, "Oh yeah, we <laughs> oh, yeah, haven't yeah, thought about I that. Really, yeah, I've really thought about that. That's that's bizarre." Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, to pressure uh, Patricia into consenting to marriage, mm. and I want to put marriage yeah, into quotes real, here, right, right. Benson places the girl's sweetheart, Jim, into a catalyptic state mm-hmm. because, of course, he can just order the natives no. to do whatever the hell he wants. Yes. Patricia reluctantly agrees, and Benson grudgingly revives Jim to appease the superstitious natives. Now, let's nail all this down. Mm-hmm. For some reason, these natives get really antsy if you like cover up the body with stones, because they like put mm-hmm. him in a cave and he forces mm-hmm. them to like mm-hmm. cut, you know, to like brick up the hole with stones, they're going to mm-hmm. leave it there for a few days and then bring it back out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't understand this at all. I do, I would like to know
2: mm-hmm.
1: how they treat their own dead. Do they burn mm-hmm. them? Yeah, yeah. Do they, mm-hmm. I don't know, feed them to sharks? What do they do? <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Because yeah.
1: burial is a pretty, st- I, I just like to know. Because yeah, yeah. the fact that this is this breaks their their will, mm. their belief in this mad doctor so much so that they that the other that the other characters can gin up mm. the fears of these people about this body being you know in a, in a cave with the the doorway closed up with freaking <laughs> rocks uh, enough for them to demand that this guy that this mad doctor who they've referred to as the god of life. I, I it, it's a it's a it's a it's a weird bit in mm-hmm. the script that right. needed a, needed at least one more line of dialogue somewhere to explain why these people are so head up about this. Mm-hmm. But it's not in the film. Mm-hmm. What can I say? <laughs> well, Dwight, that would be the uh, the officer who's with them, who has shown himself through dialogue to be a conniving, craven freak.
2: Yeah. Oh right, yeah. At every turn, yeah. right.
1: He tries to escape from that. They've, like, gotten their shit together and put Mm -hmm. supplies on there. They've they've conned a canoe while they've kind of stolen a canoe from the native tribe here and are going to try to get to one of the other islands that are nearby to get away from this shit here on this island. Mm -hmm. And Dwight just will wait for everybody to to assemble and Mm -hmm. runs off on his own. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, he just takes a boat and goes.
1: Uh, yeah, he don't make it very far. He no, gets, he doesn't. He gets into a fight with uh, the fellow whose canoe he stole,
3: Yeah,
1: uh, which would be, uh, once again, the, the actor Ray Mala playing right. this one particular native boy. Mm-hmm. Well, During this fight, uh, both men drown, and uh, the body of the islander washes up on the shore, and mm-hmm. the native chief, the one played by Noble Johnson, uh, threatens Benson with execution unless he can bring this dead young man back to life by sunrise.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Now... You might have caught on that as impressed with himself as Lionel Atwill's character is, he knows damn good and well that he can't actually raise Mm -hmm. the dead. Mm -hmm. So Atwill puts his all into this last sequence, trembling with fear and sweating bullets as the Mm nerve-wracked scientist feverishly works on the body, knowing the fate that awaits him if he doesn't pull off this freaking miracle. Uh, As the morning sun peeks over the horizon... Uh, the na- the native chief orders the lighting of the ceremonial fire, mm. and Benson is to be torched alive. Amazingly, this fire attracts a rescue plane, which picks up the remaining castaways just as the enraged natives were about to close in on them. So, deus ex planica? <laughs> Now we've already known about the, these the this plane. Yeah, different because we've planes, seen them at once. Yeah. yeah, we've already seen them earlier in the
2: film. And like yeah. you said, at least there is an explanation. Other yeah. than it's not, at least it was a little better than just having a random plane show up yeah. right at the nick yeah. of time. At least they give a reason, which is because of Aunt Margaret's betrothed has actually been sending sending planes out to search.
1: And the it. and the dialogue between the the pilot and the co pilot make it plain that they've what the reason they're circling the area is because they spotted that fire. Right. Right. But I did think it was interesting that they don't give us the, the juice thing that we want, which is to see Lila La Will be dragged out of the hut toward yeah. the fire. That would be a great scene.
2: Here's one of my, yes, the, the lack of, shall we say, suspense in the in the finale, you know, is, is kind of, I mean, the well, lack Ed of... at
1: Will, Will's working it up as much oh, as No, he can. he's doing
2: fine, but it's just yeah. the whole way, It's yeah, it's really, it's an interesting way to show it. I mean, he basically looks up and sees it sunrise, and then we just sort of superimpose the flames over that. I guess they were trying to go for something a little more subtle, like you, okay, I, just to tell you, okay, this is what happened to the guy, but it's not a real, you know, bang bang finale there. I mean, it's. it's Here's
1: my question, and I can't find an answer to it, because mm-hmm. I agree with you, because yeah. what I would have preferred, like I say, is the natives coming in and grabbing him and wrestling him out the door. Even just that, just wrestling yeah. him out the hut Plus, it would
2: give actual just another great finale of just trying to plead shout you know squealing e- and pleading with the, the others yeah something you know that
1: to, would be great that's what I want at yeah. least that and yeah. if they could have worked it so that you could see them dragging him toward mm. the fire that right. would be an even better shot yeah yeah but we don't get that if there's a mm-hmm. part of me that wonders did they shoot something like that and decide to leave it out mm-hmm. or did they not shoot it and would it be for the same reason which would be we're now talking about 1940.
2: Two. Mm,
1: mm, and mm. we're seeing that the attitude toward what these films should aim to be is changing. Right. It's becoming less of something that they expect to attract an adult audience. Mm, mm. And I mean again, I wonder, yeah. and like I say, I have no way to know, is it that they were softening something that they had in the script maybe or had yeah. even filmed? And in the final edit are deciding, you know, if we show that, that's that's I mean, the character deserves it. That's what the whole movie's been building toward, but is it too harsh? Hmm. Is it too much? Yeah. Is it going to be a little too dark? So I don't know, but I'm c i am I would be curious yeah. to find out one way or the other.
2: Yeah, that is interesting because it is an odd choice the way they, they did it is an is, is an odd filming choice yep. to, to show that. I mean you could almost miss it if you weren't really paying attention. You know, because um, the flames are shown so so briefly. I mean, you 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 could almost you you could almost almost miss that uh, uh, that whole what exactly happened. You know, if you if, if especially if you were a kid watching it, and maybe just didn't quite pick up on.
1: They kind of gloss over it in a way. They do. Let's talk about some of the things in the film that work. Mm-hmm. And some of these will be debatable. They mm-hmm. work. They work for me, but not necessarily for other people. Okay. I like. Some of the little touches that that uh, the director is able to work into the picture, the bizarre subjective photography, with which he uses a couple of times in the movie, where he has At will coming at the camera with uh, a, uh, a wad of cotton soaked with uh, a drug that will knock out the person that he's advancing toward.
2: Okay, it's interesting because I didn't like that. Okay. Within within the concept... Go ahead if you've got more to say about that. Go ahead with what you're going to say. If it
1: had been done once, I think it would be great.
2: sure. Yeah.
1: And that's why I'm giving him points for that stylistic choice because that's not Mm. something you see in every movie. No. Although, it did get copied... And goes to Frankenstein. Just mm-hmm. the, the, the next film we'll be talking about by the right. director. That scene gets copied, but it's only used once. It goes to Frankenstein. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. But
1: in this movie, it's used like two or three times. Yeah, and that's the problem. Is it's tw- it's used more than
2: once. Well, and the other problem with me is that with it is that it's it's you know the music always swells to the most ominous you know buildup, which is a problem. Yeah. Well, the well the, it's a problem because there's no other the music at no other point in the film raises or the the tension. In the rest of the film, never raises above that point. You know, it's 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 yeah. like it's you're. I agree with you. The scene itself and the idea is not bad, but when you when that when those scenes of him approaching the camera with chloroform is like the the high points of menace in the entire film. Then you got a problem. You know, and you got to, if there's nothing, which that, may be it,
1: why he repeats it three yeah, times yeah. because it's. The, the, it's the only thing the script gives the director mm. to kind of try yeah, to ramp things and,
2: up exactly. And uh, I have to and unfortunately it just it also made me think too much of the uh, uh, John Candy as Doctor Tongue and the 3D, you know, this SCTV 3D <laughs> skits every time because <laughs> a couple of times because yeah, right. there were a couple of times I thought were they planning this to be a 3D film at this <laughs> point? You know when he does those scenes. But...
1: Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> that's I, I, I had not thought of that. You're right.
2: All right, what else do you like?
1: Oh well, okay, besides that, well of course. Uh, let's, let's, okay, this is the second time that Lionel Will played a quote unquote mad scientist character. Mm-hmm. First time was in Man Made Monster, right. which is
2: a superior film. Yeah, yes, yeah, definitely.
1: But he's really, I can't stress how his character also gets some of the juicier lines.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, like, sure, okay, yeah, lines yeah, like, yeah.
1: disease, mm-hmm. the scourge of humanity, will be cast out. Mm-hmm. Think of it, man. Mm-hmm. The span of human life will be prolonged in Definitely. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I'm not giving it half the juice no,
2: oh, no, he's, that yeah.
1: Will's giving it. Yeah. And he's just awesome, man. He's like, he's, mm. well, I'll, I'll say this, he's... Mm. Some of, the, some of the joy of a Vincent Price performance mm-hmm. when, when he's going for it. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. when he's like really mm-hmm. yeah. going for it. Yeah. Is, is those kinds right. of lines like that. If you don't write those kinds of mm-hmm. lines, you can't play that yeah. role right. Yeah. And there are several points in the movie where mm-hmm. that evil gleam in mm-hmm. Latwell's La- La- eyes oh. is matched by the batshit dialogue that yeah. he spews.
4: Okay.
2: I want to Let's talk about the whole Doctor's, like his character for a second. because. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Atwell plays it great with what he's given there. The way the role's written, I mean, he he totally chews it up and and does great. Now, it's when you look at his initial ideas, his experiment, really compared to a lot of film mad scientists, you know, his overall idea isn't one of the crazier ones we've heard, or isn't one of the more. Oh no. I mean, it actually makes kind of sense. Where you know what he essentially says is, I'm trying to find a way to put humans in suspended animation so that if they have a disease. You know, we can we can keep them frozen until we find a, pla- a, a chance to cure it. That's not really, in the overall scheme of things, that crazy. It's not an okay. evil scientist scheme. We've heard worse, you know, in a lot of these films. <laughs> yes, yes Now, what's weird is the ho- is his... What else we learn of his character, it almost seems like, you know, which is so unhumanitarian. It's like, <laughs> so is he only doing this so he can eventually freeze out, freeze, unfreeze thousands of worshippers? Because that's sort of what it seems like he's... Well, he, you know. does, he does
1: seem to... <laughs> He does seem to be pursuing yeah. this end because mm-hmm. it will elevate his status in the world. Yeah. Yeah. He seems to be incredibly focused on mm. how mm. impressed people will be with him for this yeah. accomplishment, yeah. more than he is focused on accomplishing
2: the thing. Yeah, and it and that aspect of it does make does explain you know why his type of character would love. The adulation of these simple native people—you right. know why he's, you know why he responds to that, why he's kind of living it up, the life of, you know, their god. But at the same time, you know, there's several points in the film where I find myself thinking, I don't, you know, I want myself want to say, you're not really thinking this out real well, Benson, because yeah. you're right. The most clever thing he does, he is the one who saves all their lives. I mean, you know, he's the one who figures yeah, out, but he's he also, can,
1: but it's almost by accident mm. because he's really just oh, trying sure. to
2: save his own. Oh, life. absolutely, yeah, yeah but. At that point, you know he starts then telling him that he has conquered death, even though he knows that's not true. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there thinking, you know, even when that finally happens with the the younger native, you know, man who's who's killed and that proves to be his undoing, and I'm thinking, well, didn't you think at some point somebody was going to die, Doctor Vincent? Exactly. It it, probably what he should have done was instead of saying that he brought the woman back to life, he should I think he really should have just played on the fact that he did save her and heal her, you know, and and that that would probably might have, the natives might have been grateful enough to have spared them all at that point without then, you know, in other words, not, you know, just keeping him alive as a great healer, because of his his what he did to save her, yeah. Because he did save her, even though, but by the fact but that he, he had to take it further and say that she was dead and I brought her to life, and I can do that over and over again, even though yeah. he really had no basis. And so again, it's like you know, there's times where you're just like, okay, I, I, I don't think you quite really thought this through. You know, that me, this is all going to go to shit. You can understand why he doesn't want yeah. to get. Why, do, you, do you
1: think that maybe mm-hmm. it's just that our mad scientist ain't real smart,
2: maybe or just too mad? You know, it's like maybe, he's, maybe. maybe just he's, he's just yeah. you know, maybe there's a certain level of mad evil evilness you go to that uh, you kind of cloud your judgment a little bit, maybe?
1: Clouded judgment is a good way to look at it, but at the same time, he just seems to be Mm -hmm. so egocentric and so narcissistic that it never occurs to him that what's saving his ass right now will fry him later Will just absolutely doom, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the comedy in the film. Uh, The comedic elements of this film are Hmm. hit and miss. We've already spoken about them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I find a lot of what... uh, Una Merkel does to be pretty funny because I find her persona mm-hmm. and her mm-hmm. as an actress
4: mm-hmm. I find
1: to be kind of fascinating. I like watching mm-hmm. her on screen. There's something mm-hmm. fun about Una Merkel. But she's only occasionally given dialogue, mm-hmm. like I said, that yes. that really seems to work things into, a, into a, a nice froth, shall we say. Right. On the other hand, I have to agree with a lot of different people who state that Nat Pendleton as this boxer mm-hmm. character... Is uh, way more missed than hit because yeah. he's a character who I thought was there for one reason, and then by mm-hmm. the end of the movie, I'm thinking, why was he actually here? Because yeah. the reason I thought he was here was to be this big, beefy, physical guy who has to do a lot of really harsh physical things and mm-hmm. fights, mm-hmm. or, or in, mm-hmm. in, their way, in their escapes or something like this, to justify having this at this muscular athlete along for the story.
2: I actually even kind of thought that when I didn't realize they were going to develop the the storyline of the the man that Aunt Margaret's going to marry, I actually thought maybe there was going to be kind of a funny romance b- developed between those two because right. they do have a lot of scenes together. And I exactly. thought maybe they were kind of going that way, you know, that they were going to be this unlikely couple unlikely that was going romance, to hit it up. Yeah. yeah, right.
1: But it doesn't happen that no. way. So what we're left with is a character who really... Mm-hmm. Doesn't serve much of a function no, within the story, except just to just be me. a mook.
2: Yeah, just to yeah, be. Yeah,
1: exactly, and, yeah. It, and it's not a very funny character, and it's yeah. and it's one that <sighs> once he's done his two or three facial expressions,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. it's
1: like we're just going to cycle through those same sp- yeah. facial expressions over and over again. And it's like when you're yeah, on screen with yeah. someone like Una Merkel, who yeah. really has a lot of range yeah. and is very good at delivering dialogue and mm-hmm. is very good at, at uh, communicating things with uh, mm-hmm. a lot of nuance, she's, mm-hmm. she's good at she's what she's good doing. She's got good comic
2: timing, definitely.
1: Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When you're next to her and you've got two or three things you can do, mm-hmm. yeah. even in a movie mm-hmm. that's only an hour long, mm-hmm. yeah, you wear out your welcome.
2: Yeah. And he kind of right. does. Yeah.
1: Um, as for the, the two romantic characters... They're okay. I think mm-hmm. that yeah. No, I
2: mean, they're they're fine. They're yeah, fine. Yeah.
1: I mean, they, they get the job done. They're not uh, they're yeah. not being called on to particularly do anything difficult, right? And what they're called upon to do, they do very well, and yeah. that's great. Not so not a, not a real problem there. Uh, I do have to say that Noble Johnson, who's an actor who I have a lot of affection for, I think he's. Mm-hmm. I, I always like oh, to yeah. see him when he pops up in a movie. Yeah. I think he has more dialogue in this movie than any other movie I've ever seen.
2: <laughs> he probably does. Actually, you probably do. Which is
1: truly strange. Yeah, it is. His yeah. character yeah. is just you know mm-hmm. a very very secondary mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, an incredibly one-note character mm-hmm. at yeah. the same time, but he's got, you know, more lines of dialogue <laughs> than I actually expected him to ever say <laughs> on screen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the, most, let's put it this way. Noble Johnson on screen
3: is
2: mm. usually silent. You're right, you're right. But
1: you take what you mm. get, I guess.
2: And his character doesn't stay fooled for very long either. He's no. not an idiot, you know. And yeah. Regardless of how stilted the dialogue is, you know, he pretty early on starts suspecting starts kind of demanding more of the doctor to like, hey, you know, I want to see more of what you're claiming you can do. And he's, he kind of ca- cops to him pretty quickly.
5: Jeez.
0: Watch this, tell him to go away, dance or something. They no go away. Man and ground evil. They think you can no bring back dead. I can bring him back anytime I wish to. You do now. Make man live. All right, bring him to my hut
1: of course we can pull this film apart and, yeah. and make complaints about the things that we feel aren't as up to par as we would like uh, but i want to i want to quote this i wanna uh I, I find some very interesting things in it and, and overall I think you might be a little shocked by my rating on this film but okay I, I want to quote this directly from the universal horrors film uh this is this is pretty interesting and I I have to say that once I read this, I kind of agreed. Okay. Says, film historian John Cochie has very plausibly made the case that the opening scenes in this film, set on the mainland, were added to the script as an afterthought. Mm. According to Cochie, the Call Bureau cast sheet issued in August of 1941 lists neither Ann Nagel nor Hardy Albright, both seen solely in those opening scenes, playing the married couple, Uh. the the guy who gets killed, among the cast members. Hmm. Neither of them are named. Since at the time, the film was registered under its shooting title, Terror of the Islands, Ooh. it's possible that the title change was prompted by the inclusion of the San Francisco scenes at the beginning of the movie. Wow. Exactly. So.
2: And Terror of the Islands is not a terrible name, you know, as far as titles go. As far as one, if they had chosen that, that's not a, not a bad name. See, I'd had one, I, my title I'd come up with was... Uh, uh, trying to work in the the Mad Doctor and the fact that part of it takes place on a ship and then on the island. I was thinking they could have called it the Mad Doctor of Shipwreck Island. That was what I came with. <laughs> but actually, but actually, I kind of like Terror of the Islands. And now it's not bad. That would be. About I mean, make. it fits more. Yeah, well, nice. it certainly it,
1: fits. Even yeah. even with the opening sequence the way right, it is, right? sure. In the finished film, yeah. but that makes a lot of sense to me. That it they, does make that, absolutely That, that, a that lot they of decided sense. that they needed. To set the mad scientist character up more. In other words, they needed to show mm. the mad scientist actually doing something mm. villainous instead of, mm. I'm assuming, just having us be told yeah. about
2: his villainy well, by
1: the people searching for him on the ship.
2: And based on our discussion, I think we felt that was kind of the best part of the or the whole segment, yeah. intro segment was one of the best parts of the movie.
1: In my opinion, it is. Yeah, the film is uh, it's it's a very small film. I mean, it's. Uh, it's not a great film. It's not going to be one of the ones that you that you consider to be a classic. It's one of those things. I, it, it took forever for it to get released on video. Nah. I mean, I don't think it was ever issued on VHS. Nah. And so well, again,
2: I'd never seen it until we until the two times I watched it for this this show. I'd never seen yeah, it before.
1: I've I, The first <clears> I saw it was it was issued on DVD several years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, that's how I saw it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then. Um, now it's been released on Blu-ray by Screen Factory as part of one of those Universal horror four film sets. Right, and um, it's like I say, it's 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 good to sit down with something like this. You know, the same way it is, mm-hmm. it's fun to sit down with something like the Mad Ghoul or mm-hmm. you know these mm-hmm. different little oddball mm-hmm. films made in the nineteen forties by Universal that aren't part of the you know aren't yeah. part of one of the ongoing series or anything like that. Right, uh, they show a different flavor and a different way of approaching the, the genre they they come at it in, 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 a, in a different way mm. not always successful
3: mm.
1: for every uh, you know for every uh, very interesting piece of this type you get probably at least two that you just, you just like well oh, sure. some yeah. of it works some of it yeah. doesn't work right.
2: right and
1: in this case it's not great no it's worth seeing if you're a fan of this stuff the real draw is always going to be Lionel Atwill. Absolutely, yeah. So, on the one to ten scale, I mean, what? Uh, I...
2: Well, this is maybe gonna. This is a harsher rating than maybe I necessarily feel towards it, but I had to give it a four. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't. But I didn't hate it. You know, I mean, it's it's not awful, but I have a trouble finding any specific specific reason to recommend it okay except to maybe a person who says like man there's nothing i love watching better than watching lionel actual leer you know <laughs> because in, in which case i would say man is this the film for you but you know you and i are both you know we're suckers for mad doctor films we're suckers for jungle films you yep. know you put the two together this obviously is going to work enough to where we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, feel robbed for having to spend the 55 minutes to watch it you know, I mean, we're going to be like, okay, there's enough here to draw me in, you know, and and and, and see what happens. But I, I think that, you know, one one problem I have with the film, and it's it's something, it's the accusation you can make over a whole lot of universal 40s films, is that, you know, every single character is one note. and But I think that's not necessarily a problem when there's more going on story-wise or style-wise or dialogue-wise in a film that gets past that. But in this case... Not only is every character one note, but except for a few juicy lines from Atwell, there's just not much in the way of writing there that that kind of elevates it or not enough in the way of action. To me, it stands out more in this film that there's really just... The actors are good. I mean, they play that one note well, but there's just no real no no character ever does anything outside of of their of what we think their character or what their character is originally presented as you know yeah i understand and um um but but yeah so i just i just don't find anything that stands out i would have to say i looked back over the films we've done so far i'd have to say this is probably my least favorite so far of all the films that we've okay. done but without i don't i and i don't see any i don't see myself ever really wanting to watch it again uh but if i were to watch it again, you know, i mean i would i would i would probably still be able to kind of just get into that. hey, it's universal 40s world, you know. i like that, you know, the style of these films, the actors, you know, just the look of these films are, you know, it's, it's 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 there's definitely worse ways to spend your time, but so yeah, um yeah, i have to give it a 4 without saying without also not saying that it's a terrible film, but you know, just 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 didn't really do do not much there that stood out, not really anything to me that that made it like something i would recommend to others.
1: I understand. Uh, strangely enough, mm. uh, I kind of end up giving it a six. Okay. Uh, I watched this for the first time on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only the second time I watched it back in October mm-hmm. uh, when I was just you know mainlining a bunch of you know horror films because yeah. it's the season. <clears throat> right. Uh, and so this is the third time watching it, and each time I come away from this film feeling that yeah. It's really kind of more, probably, if you were sane, it's probably closer <laughs> to a five.
2: <laughs>
1: but uh, I'll, I'll put it this mm-hmm. way. This is, another, this is another quote from the Universal Horrors book. Says, okay. The Mad Doctor of Market Street is poorly produced, to be sure, but the viewer can reap minor dividends. If you're willing to play along with Joseph Lewis's Lark, there's more fun to be had than one has a right to expect, as long as Lionel Atwell mm-hmm. is center stage. <laughs>
2: sure. Sure.
1: And that is how I yeah. kind of feel about this mm-hmm. movie. I don't think it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not one that I have the burning urge to rewatch. But I'll say this: there is enough in it, mm-hmm. and it is brief.
2: Oh yes, it absolutely. It's is, under yes. an hour, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. so it doesn't overstay its welcome. And that mm-hmm. is, in a lot of ways, something that adds to my enjoyment of the film because yeah. it moves. It does. It, it does. Yeah. It, there, there are there are moments in the movie where it kind of feels like they're. Setting themselves up to go in a slightly different direction, and then they go in the direction that you kind of expected them to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's short; it doesn't seem to matter. I yeah. I enjoy the film. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's it's far from a classic. Mm-hmm. But the things in it that I enjoy are what I take away from it. Mm-hmm. And after you know, a day or two after I've watched the movie, when I think back on it,
3: mm-hmm.
1: it are it's always the things that I enjoy that yeah. come to mind immediately, not cool. the things that bug me. Mm-hmm. So cool. Like I say, I would. I don't know that I would necessarily recommend it to anyone other than people who are interested in the period Mm. and the horror films of that period. Mm -hmm. It's not great, Mm -hmm. but if you have a soft spot for these things, it's going to be right up your alley. Cool. Now, once again, one of the Mm -hmm. things I love about the Universal Horrors book is they're quoting critics.
2: Oh, from the the day. Oh, those are always fun.
1: (laughs) Now there there there's several here, but I really. I love this one. This this is the one that's the standout <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think that you will enjoy the I think you'll enjoy the most. Okay. This is the New York World Telegram, January the 5th, 1942. If you want to see what a really bad piece of workmanship Hollywood can produce when it sets its mind to it, <laughs> I refer you to the Mad Doctor of Market Street. The story is so bogus, so labored, so dreary the dialogue so unfunny and the acting so embarrassing that the whole thing is in a class by itself. Rarely has anything more ponderous or tasteless come out of the film capital.
2: Well, as, as, uh, <laughs> as Spinal Tap would say, that's nitpicking, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, yes, Nigel. That's,
2: and, and, and that's a bit harsh. I mean, it's like, I, I don't agree with it. The acting performances are not bad. It's just they do fine with what they've given there, you know. It's, it's
1: <laughs> now, there, there's one more I want to read. That's the, mm-hmm. that, that's the best, but this one's yeah. not bad. From Harrison's Reports, January the 10th, 1942. Although this is supposed to be in the thriller class, it is doubtful if it will have a frightening effect on anyone. So ridiculous is the story, slow, so slow-moving the action that patrons will be bored instead of excited. There is nothing that the players can do to enliven the proceedings, for they are up against trite material and stilted dialogue. The romance is routine. <laughs> That's the last sentence. <laughs> the, romance the romance is romance routine. Is routine.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm just picturing a whole audience packed with people recoiling from those chloroform pads coming <laughs> out the screen. Screen yeah. there, you know. So <laughs> why not? Why not? Yeah.
1: Okay, right. so Mad Doctor of Market Street, we, we put you to bed until yes, yes. Uh, probably October when I feel the urge to watch another short Universal movie that I haven't seen a thousand
2: times. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All
1: right, folks, hang on a second. We'll be back to, uh, uh, I think we have Got a we little have, mail. We have yeah. an email, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, we will uh, let you know what we're doing in the next few episodes of the two different podcasts.
5: Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, Necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, No one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore i am
3: in the most sincerest of senses disappointed in him
5: it takes a powerful goddess like connie her arm down the monster's throat and kill it oh, i'm still tripping out over that even as a kid i was like i gotta find a girl like that every week i, I get a new look of disappointment that i never thought i could it's get out of it
3: unimaginable here. at 12 years old you should not be watching this movie. obviously at 13 you should not be 14 you shouldn't be i'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this movie. White Zombie, a new novelization of the classic horror movie from award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan, available now in print and all ebook formats. Find it on Amazon, Smashwords, through Fiction, and other quality outlets. Also available in a special edition including the complete movie script. Grab White Zombie before it grabs you. Details at SDSullivan.com.
1: Folks, um, we have one piece of email here from uh, someone who's actually usually a guest on the mm-hmm. podcast.
2: As if we didn't hear from him enough.
1: I know, finally, asshole I'll... has to write in and bug us with this and, shit. And,
2: and butt in on other episodes. I yeah, think. he
1: has to like get his, he's like trying to weasel into every damn thing. <laughs> kind of jerk. Anyway, this is an email from uh, John Hudson who uh, does the margariti Podcasts with me here on the Bloody Pit and uh, most recently, you heard us talking about uh, one of his favorite comedy films of all time, the Howard Lloyd film, mm. The Kid Brother. So, let's see. What does he got here? Okay, he says, Hey, fellas, I am loving the Universal Horror series, so I am, of course, writing about something completely different. This, mm-hmm. is what he, this is what he does to us. Yes, of course. During the last episode on The Wolfman, you talked a lot about big country and wondered if they ever played Nashville. They did indeed. They played at T-Pac. That's the uh, Tennessee Performing Arts Center, for those of you who don't live in Nashville. <laughs> on March the 12th, 1984, on the tour for The Crossing, and they were fantastic. They sounded so crisp, powerful, and just plain huge. It's a crying shame they faded away after that first record made such a splash. There was a nice home video release of a show that is pretty much how I remember them, and it's up on YouTube, and he sent us a link. Oh, good, good. Uh, not going to click on that, because then the musical starts. start
2: playing. Yeah, right. It's, yeah.
1: He says, and I have attached a photo from my ticket scrapbook that shows just how great it was to be in Nashville that month. In addition to Big Country, we also had The Clash and The Pretenders with the alarm opening the show. Not too shabby. Thanks again for a great show, John.
2: Well, first of all, it says everything you need to know. About the difference between Hudson and I, and that is that he has a ticket scrapbook, whereas I, my ticket stubs are all just kind of buried in boxes and drawers, and you know, and in sort of loose piles, you know, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> he, of course, has his in perfect plastic, you know. So uh, he, he he
1: can flip through and go through chronological just, order. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I, actually, I uh, I used to keep my ticket stubs too when I was in uh, mm-hmm. high school and college, mm-hmm. most especially through my twenties. I kept them as well, and I have a scrapbook mm-hmm. of those as well. I have long since lost that. <laughs> That capability of, mm-hmm. of doing that, but I did keep the a, a scrapbook much like he's got there for a very long yeah, time.
2: Yeah. Well, cool. I, I uh, uh, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, you actually used to get this little paper thing when you went to a concert, <laughs> and uh, and and if you're think- it's called a ticket ticket, and if you're thinking, boy, those would make awesome souvenirs. No, not really, because they tore them in half, and so your scrapbooks of tickets were basically your you, you've got. That's why we call them stubs, is because you've got these sort of half ripped. Tickets and everything. Did you
1: ever do the thing? I always, always did this negotiation with the person who was tearing oh, the tickets. Did you really see? Yeah, it wasn't yeah I would do this matched. negotiation to say, "Hey, I'm going to keep this. Can you just
2: tear uh, the end of it?" See, man, and they,
1: and they would almost always go along with it because they knew, they knew, especially uh, at
2: the time, that you were trying to retain this for, for your scrapbook. See, man, I was too busy thinking. I just want to get in, drop my ass, get down, and watch the, uh, watch the, watch the <laughs> So
1: oh my God. wanna get in the clothes off, I drop my ass wanna, and get, and wanna get, to get inside, find a yeah. vein, shoot the shoot the horse and get on with this evening, man. <laughs> Fuck this t- asking somebody to
2: tear the ticket properly. Hey, hey, listen though, I'm glad that I, I'm really really glad HUD sent this message because it helps me clear up a little bit of a mystery because when we were talking about uh big country, you know, on that previous show and and Hud had after he'd heard the episode had mentioned to me, yeah, they did play Nashville because I saw them, and I was in the thing like, well, why in the hell didn't I see them? Uh, and but when he sent this scrapbook, shows you that right yeah, how close those four. three. So I'm and I was at that Clash show, and I was at that Pretender show. So that makes me think that it could literally have been that I just couldn't, I could only afford two of the three, <laughs> which makes sense because I was not the man of means that I am now, you know. And so it's very <laughs> possible, and I damn sure wasn't going to miss the Clash. Uh, I no, wish I'd seen all three, but I will say the Clash, even though it was the cut the crap lineup, it was still an awesome show, um, and uh, the Pretenders were fantastic. Uh, that so so yeah okay. At least that makes me feel a little better. I was like okay, that may be why I missed the big countries because I just literally couldn't pick off, th- couldn't afford all three shows.
1: Man, the nineteen eighty four lineup of the Pretenders that would be the Learning
2: to Crawl. Oh album. yes, holy yes, shit! It was that I tour, line, man. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah,
1: that would be amazing.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Know?
1: Yeah. Well, at any rate, uh, thank you, <laughs> yeah. Mister
2: Hudson, for yeah.
1: writing in to rub our noses in what you were able to see hey, in '84.
2: And he does any. I'm sure he was on the front row of all those shows. He just doesn't. Even he, he at least holds that back. Usually he rubs that in too. You know. Uh, I see they're all general admission shows, so I guarantee you he was on the front front row. But uh, so wow. <laughs> to
1: see the Clash at Nashville yeah. in '84 was ten dollars.
2: Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Ten. Ten, <laughs> ten bucks, bucks, man.
1: Oh God! Yeah, I don't want to think about it. It's so horrible because now it's 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 ridiculous. Oh, I remember,
2: of money. I remember just a few years before that, the first I think the first concert I ever paid as much as ten dollars for was was Molly Hatchet, and I remember me and my friends all screaming "Highway Robbery," you know, like outrage. You know, how can they charge you ten <laughs> 10 bucks, my God? You know. I
1: saw Molly Hatchet Thirty Eight Special open for
2: them. They, <sighs> I'm sure they did the show. I saw too because I saw Thirty Eight yeah. Special too many too many times, you know. <laughs>
1: The band with two drummers.
2: The band that opened for every other band. And of course, in those days, journal admission, you had to get there for the opening band, even though I hated 38 Special. I had to see them. Oh, really? Endless... You didn't like them at all? No, I, okay. I just had to see them endless times because they always open for other bands and
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh my god. Well, okay, folks. So that's the, the yes. only the only email we're gonna play around with this time. Right now yeah. we're gonna go ahead and tell you that uh, next time Troy and I sit down for an episode of The Bloody Pit. Uh, which will be in two months, I do believe. We'll be talking about the next Universal horror film uh, chronologically. We're going through the Universal horrors mm-hmm. book chronologically, of course, and it's a big one from nineteen forty-two, yeah. the Ghost of Frankenstein. Yeah,
2: first time the Frankenstein monster appears on our forty series here.
1: Yeah, it is, and that's uh, it's gonna be fun. We get we get a little Dracula and Frankenstein as we go along, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh, this is this is our first Frankenstein film, and I'm very excited because this is one that I do return to a lot mm-hmm. uh, for various reasons, and of course that'll be part of our discussion mm-hmm. uh, when we uh, come back to do another episode of the Nashy cast over on the sister podcast the original oh. podcast yes <laughs> we'll yes. be uh, we'll be doing another Beyond Nashy episode where we're going to focus in on a 1963 Italian gothic with a lot of Spanish horror connections mm-hmm. called the Blancheville Monster uh, who stars in that again Helga Lene uh, yes Helga Yes, Helga Helga Hello,
2: Helga. (laughs)
1: I feel all creepy now. Anyway, that's what Troy and I'll be doing on the podcast for the next little while. Hope you can tune in. If you have any comments or corrections or anything that you would like to uh, let us know about, the email address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. For the Nashycast, of course, it's nashycast at gmail.com. You'll notice a pattern there.
3: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's not hard to dope out. Nope. Both shows have their own individual Facebook pages where you can reach us as well for questions, comments, insults, or just, you know, queries. We're we're good. (laughs) doesn't really matter. Anything you want to say, we'll be glad to hear from you. Or at least we'll tolerate most of it. (laughs) Thank you once again for listening to the show. And uh, all we can say is uh, please stay healthy. Stay uh, stay happy. Absolutely. Don't let the quarantine get to you. Don't let the madness get to you. And uh, I am Rod Barnett.
2: I'm Troy Gwynn.
1: Be good.